0: So what are we doing here? I mean, that question can come up in variety of tones of voice. And oh, did the sound cut out? Is it okay? Okay. And it can be, what am I doing here? Or I can really be a legitimate kind of curiosity. What is this? How does this practice work? And we do like to encourage you not to think too much about that. I'm going to say a few words at the beginning here about a little bit about our purpose here, what we're doing. In just a simple way, we're trying to learn about our minds, to understand Ways that our mind gets caught and participates in what we call suffering, and to cultivate qualities of mind that participate in moving the, in the other direction towards ease, towards peace, towards freedom. Essentially, looking at our minds does this quite naturally when we observe and get curious about what is this experience whether it's something that is reactive or a beautiful wholesome quality of mind mindfulness has this kind of seems almost like a magic property I think Winnie mentioned this the other night, this, this ability, mindful, when we are mindful of something in this non-reactive, non-judgmental way, if it is something that is reactive, a reactive emotion, such as anger, confusion, frustration, irritation, annoyance, anything rooted in greed, aversion, and delusion, when we're mindful of that, it, it, it creates the conditions for it to diminish in our experience. To get weaker. Because we understand that it's suffering. Mindfulness and wisdom work together to help us understand that suffering. And very naturally, the mind wants to move in the direction of letting that go. And when the mindfulness meets or connects with qualities, wholesome qualities, Tara mentioned a whole bunch of them the other night, in the list of the paramis. Generosity, energy, wisdom, patience, love, equanimity, all of the brahmaviharas, mindfulness itself. When mindfulness recognizes wholesome qualities, it creates the conditions for those to grow stronger, so really all we have to do is be mindful and very naturally over time the reactive things will diminish and the wholesome will increase and partly this happens by as we are mindful of experience we meet experience we get to know it at first when we when we are beginning either a period of practice a retreat or earlier in our practice what we're getting familiar with is what particular experience feels like what is sometimes called the specific characteristics of experience so the body has these sensations these qualities of pressure heat coolness vibration tingling pulsing so that's kind of the specific qualities of the sensations of the body but every experience no matter what we have what experience is happening every experience has what we we might call general characteristics everything that happens in our bodies and minds is impermanent is unreliable because it's impermanent. It is unreliable as a source for lasting happiness. And it is not me, not mine, not who I am. And so this meeting of experience with mindfulness begins to point out these general characteristics of experience to us. We see, experience, all of these body sensations, tingling, pulsing, vibration, as impermanent. We see our mind states as impermanent. We see thoughts as impermanent. Emotions as impermanent. And at, since impermanent, unreliable. We find we can't control what's happening. Often we see we're not in ultimate control of, like, these body sensations. Did I decide for this tingling to happen? It happened. So we're not in control of what arises. And that is a pointing to this characteristic of not-self. And so we see that experience, whatever it is, Every experience. We don't have to wait for some special experience to notice that it's impermanent. Every experience can reveal this to us. And when we see experience as impermanent, unreliable, and not self, again, quite naturally, our minds recognize this is not worth clinging to. Impermanent things are not worth clinging to. I've heard this... um, this story for a long time of a description and i think it came from a yogi i can i can't attribute a source to it but the this yogi described suffering as being rope burn changing phenomenon you know when a rope drags through your hand the movement of that rope dragging through your hand burns your hand if you let go of the rope it stops burning and the, the kind of the sense of clinging to something that is impermanent creates a suffering like rope burn. And so our minds begin to understand that and start to let go. Again, quite naturally. Start to let go. So we've been exploring different phenomenon in our instructions in the morning And there's been a theme, a thread, that has been carried through that when we've talked about body sensations, these are impermanent. Talked about mind states, these are impermanent. Thoughts, these are impermanent. And so we're really learning how to meet all of these different experiences with mindfulness. And some experiences... Can be more challenging than others. You know, we tend to get caught. We each have our favorite emotions to get caught with, and uh, certain body sensations we probably get caught with. And we all also tend to get caught with thoughts. It's, it seems to be a human phenomenon that we get absorbed into our thoughts and spin and worry and plan. And um, so it's human. This morning, Tara talked about working with thoughts a little bit, and I'll talk a little bit more about it tomorrow, but I thought to take a little more time to just unpack it this evening, working with thoughts, different kinds of thoughts, different ways to work with them. These are, as Tara mentioned this morning, just another experience that can be known as an impermanent unreliable phenomenon and looking at thoughts also is a real um, kind of real pointing to that not self quality because so often when a thought arises it's kind of like well where did that come from it's not self it came from conditions it arose based on habits patterns, things from your memory it's just an arising that happened You didn't try to make it happen. It just happened. And so looking at thoughts really can help us to understand this, experientially connect with this understanding or teaching around not-self. So sometimes people have the idea, and it can be a subtle belief, and it can be an obvious one. That what meditation means is having a mind that gets quiet without thoughts. That sometimes happens in meditation. I think some of you have experienced it. Many of you have talked to me, have talked about that. And it's very pleasant. <laughs> One of the things we like about it. <laughs> it just reminded me of a, of a story I read, a study that I read. You know, we don't really like thinking that much um, There was a a study of somebody, the the headline that I read was, people would rather shock themselves than be left alone with their thoughts. (laughs) People were given the opportunity to sit in a room quietly for an hour, and there was a buzzer there that they could shock themselves with. (laughs) Or they could sit there and be with their thoughts. And people chose to shock themselves. (laughs) So, you know, this is what, this is, we don't like thoughts. So learning to have a a more uh, friendly relationship with thoughts can be useful. So it's possible for the mind to get quiet and not have thoughts in meditation, but that's not necessarily the goal. Our aim is this continuity of mindfulness that meets experience moment to moment and understands it as experience in the present moment, whatever it is. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, body sensations, things arising in the mind, emotions, moods, thoughts. Being with moment-to-moment experience as it's arising and recognizing that it's happening right now. That's our aim in mindfulness practice. And so if thoughts arise, we we can uh, explore the possibility of being mindful of them. Now, it is challenging. Being mindful of thinking, of thoughts, is challenging because they have this quality. We are so habituated to following the thoughts, to getting caught in them, to think about them. It's like that's what we've done our whole lives. So, of course, we get caught in thoughts. Of course. Sitting, deciding to sit down and meditate, you know, it's like it's a it's a teaching on not self right that right there. You sit down. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to be with my breath for the full, even if it's 15 minutes. You know, so I'm going to be with my breath for 15 minutes. And what happens? You know, a minute, two minutes in, you're thinking. Did you tell yourself I'm not going to pay attention to the breath anymore and I'm going to pay attention to thinking now? No, it happened. It's not self. And then, even more amazing, we're thinking. We're all lost in thought. And suddenly, mindfulness returns, and we become aware that we're thinking. Did we decide to have mindfulness return? No. Again, it's not self. It arose because of conditions, because you planted seeds of mindfulness earlier. So right there, and just watching the, wandering, the mind wander and come back, a teaching on not self. So we need to understand in uh, exploring thinking, we need to understand the difference between being lost in thought and being aware of thinking. I think we can intuitively know this because we all understand that moment when we wake up, the moment when mindfulness returns, that there's a difference in the quality there before if we were lost in some, you know, story or some memory or something, you know, that we've been thinking about. The difference between that being lost and that, and then having mindfulness return, that moment when, oh, aware, I'm aware. That quality of difference there begins to point out what it feels like to be lost in thought, and what it feels like to be aware. So getting familiar with that distinction. And actually in that moment when mindfulness returns, often what we are aware of, there can be different things that we can be aware of depending on what's happening, but there are many times when we've been lost in thinking. And when we become aware again, what we become aware of is that we are thinking. And immediately, most of us judge that. I'm thinking, I shouldn't be thinking. I should bring myself back to the breath. But right there in that moment, you are aware of thinking. So that moment of the mindfulness returning into thought, that's a great opportunity to begin to recognize what it's like to be aware while thinking. So take a moment to notice that. Thinking is happening aware of that and then I'll talk a lot about what to do next <laughs> there's a lot of different options here and a lot of different um, you know it can simply be noticing that thought but often we kind of one of my teachers Sayada Utegeniya, uh, says what people do in that moment is they shoot the thought pew, thinking pew. and then you know it can go away because there's such an intense focus on it, and then you know, then it goes away. But there's a kind of intensity to that, I'm thinking. And it's almost like that note of I'm thinking obliterates the thinking. It's not really a natural release of thinking. It's a, it's a kind of an overwhelm of thinking through that noting process or through that kind of intense aiming and uh, shooting, as he says, shooting thought. And so when we become mindful or aware, oh, thinking is happening, can there be a little bit of a gentler aware of thinking so that there is a connection with the capacity that the mind has to think and know that we're thinking at the same time? That's what we could could call mindfulness of thinking. We are thinking and we know that we're thinking. when we are not aware of the thinking we're often just pulled into the thoughts our habits our patterns often connected to deep conditioning reactivity can arise we just go down a train a rabbit hole I sometimes call it a rabbit hole we go down a rabbit hole and it can take us a while to come back out because there's so much conditioning around getting hooked into thoughts And so beginning to recognize the difference between that being hooked and being aware of thinking. Just curiosity about that. What is that difference? And that moment when you recognize that you've become aware is a prime moment to get curious about that. Aware of thinking. It's happening. The mind mind can do that. So one thing I like to distinguish between there's so many different kinds of thoughts that happen you might you might have noticed that you know not just that there's you know angry thoughts and confused thoughts and irritated thoughts and things like that but there's also you know somebody mentioned the narration kind of thought and then there's daydreaming kind of thoughts and there's just drifting random thoughts so there's a lot of different kind of thoughts and roughly in terms of talking about working with thoughts, I like to distinguish between what I'll call active or energetic thinking, where there's a kind of a, uh, an investment in it, maybe. If there's a pull into it. There's, a, there's a, an energy with it. I'll call that active thinking. And the other that I'll distinguish right now is what, 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 I might, what we might call something like drifting thinking there's not much of a charge it it almost just feels floaty you know there's not, often not a lot of emotional stuff going on in there it's just a drifty kind of space and there's very different ways to work with those kinds of experiences so I'll start with talking about the active thinking or the energized thinking because that's often where we we can struggle that kind of thinking is often connected to uh, an emotional um, pattern. And we'll talk in a moment about making those connections. But the f- one of the first things that can be useful with a, a kind of thought pattern that is really engaged is something Tara mentioned this morning, which is to kind of name, it's kind of connecting, taking a step back from the content and Noticing the type of thinking in terms of a category, like planning, remembering, judging, fantasizing, arguing. Just that kind of just to, to it's it's connected to the content a little bit, but it gives you a little bit of a distance from the the, the story or the narrative that's connected with the thought. So you can name or note that just very lightly, you know, oh, arguing, arguing is happening, arguing. These kind of energized thoughts, energetic thoughts, active thinking, there's, it kind of feels like we've been hooked on to them. So there's some engagement with them. And often it feels like, well, it might have arisen unbidden, it's kind of like we've jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, I really want to think about that. So these kind of this kind of naming uh, the thoughts helps us to take a step back and just notice the type of thoughts, and it also begins to point out. Jack Cornfield sometimes would say, "You know, what are your top th- three favorite tunes?" I was the angry thinker. You know, that, that was my number one hit anger. (laughs) So you you begin to get familiar with the kinds of patterns all different ways in. I mean some of you have talked about planning you know being a planner and it's like oh yeah I'm planning what to have for lunch. Planning how to brush my teeth. I'm planning you know here there's not much to plan but we plan. (laughs) So that planning is the habit so just begin to notice the the habitual qualities this is noticing something about the specific characteristic of this kind of thinking planning tends to be directed at the future remembering at the past so you know we 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 can have different relationships with different kinds of memories in that way our Habitual thoughts, the ones that we find are our top three, I would say those are often related to old and deep patterns. Things that have happened to you before. Ways that you've engaged in your life from the time that you were a child. These are deeply conditioned habits. And so again, of course they arise. Can't expect to come and sit in the hall at IMS, and leave your mind outside. You know, it comes in with us. We find what we're... what. When sometimes I say on these retreats, you know, this, this is your mind 101. You are learning what your mind does. How it does it. So again, with these... Um, energetic kind of thoughts, if you find them having this, you know, naming them as planning or remembering. Another piece that can be useful with these thoughts that have a lot of energy to them is just check in, you know, who's the audience for this thought? Am I talking just to myself or or do I have a large audience? Or is it one specific person that I am trying to convince that I'm right kind of get a sense of, you know, often when we're, when, when we're thinking, we're not just talking to ourselves, we are talking to someone. And so having a sense of that, is there an audience? Whose voice is the um, thought in? Sometimes, sometimes thoughts are images, we'll talk about this more in a bit, sometimes they're images, sometimes they're, they're as if we're talking to ourselves or as if someone else is talking to us. We might hear something in in one of our parents' voice or in an old teacher's voice or in our boss's voice. So just, you know, again, notice these, these things. These are part of the process of how our mind does thinking. We don't have to do much other than recognize, okay, yeah, arguing and trying to convince this person I'm right, that's what's happening right now just again, noticing. We can notice that this is happening in our own minds. When we're really lost in the thoughts, we believe it's happening to us right now. It's kind of startling. I got this kind of very clearly shown to me at one point when uh, I had had a very painful breakup with with someone. And um, um, years it was maybe you know a year into the breakup. I was still processing, still you know dealing with this, and I and I began noticing at times that I would wake up into thoughts, and I'd be really confused because in the thought I was right back in the relationship, and it felt like I was there, and then I'd come out and it'd be like, wait a minute, that's not even that's years a year ago. That's not happening right now. It was happening in my mind. And so beginning to recognize this kind of you know, arguing, naming these kind of energetic thoughts, and recognizing the audience, recognizing whose voice it's in, begins to help us see this is happening in our minds. This is not actually happening. Another useful piece here, when you notice that you're thinking, you come into awareness and recognize, yes, okay, I know I'm thinking, I know I'm planning, remembering, judging, fantasizing, whatever that is. Another useful piece is to take a step, a little bit of a, of a broader step, a kind of an opening up a little bit, and checking out how am I relating to this fact that that I'm thinking. This is often where judgment comes in. We don't like the fact that we're thinking. So this is, this is almost, more, the, the, the attitude often to our thoughts is more related to the fact that we're practicing meditation. And we're sitting down and meditating. We have the idea, I'm not supposed to be thinking. And when thinking arises, we get annoyed with ourselves. And so the attitude might be annoyance. So take, take, the, take a moment to check out, okay, so I know that thinking is happening. What's my relationship to noticing that? Over time, it can just get to be really neutral. It's just like, oh yeah, thinking is happening. That's not a problem. That's just what I can notice right now. It's another experience. But as we begin to be familiar with working with thinking, we will often see a relationship that is resistant. We don't like it. Or the other side of it might be we just want to put down the meditation altogether and go back into that fantasy. It was way more pleasant than feeling all of the stuff in my body. So there can be both the kind of greed, the, the kind of desire to go back into the thinking, but often there's the relationship of aversion, not liking, wanting it to go away, having a conflicted relationship with it. So acknowledge that. Thinking is happening and I don't like it. That's what's happening right now. So with this active thinking, I mentioned a few moments ago that there's often emotion related to it, connected to it. And again, Tara mentioned this this morning that, you know, to check in, is there an emotion related to the thinking? Thoughts are sometimes an emotion's way of trying to get our attention. So acknowledging an emotion connected with thinking. So for instance, if you're you know, ranting at somebody, you know, I'm right, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right. <laughs> you know, maybe it just feels like judging and arguing, but you know, what, is, what is an emotion here? It might be fear or anger is here. Kind of the flywheel off of that, off of which those thoughts are coming. When we can connect with an emotion, it's, it's, it's often already happening, it's just a little below our conscious awareness. We may not be consciously mindful or aware that those emotions are there, but opening up to... Are there emotions present with this thought? It's not, it's not a trying to dig. It's more, and it's very important, I think, not to look for, you know, having thoughts of like arguing, for instance. Not so helpful to look for, well, is there fear here? Is there anger here? But more just, what kind of emotions are here? Is there an emotion here? It's kind of opening up with that question being available to see if there is an emotion present. When I've explored it in this way, more than once I've been surprised by the emotion that's been there. When I'm not looking for the emotion, when I'm not thinking, I know what the emotion should be, there must be anger under here. You know, If you're looking for an emotion, you, you may construct it, and you'll find it. But if you're more just willing to let the experience show itself to you, sometimes we can be completely startled and, and like not at all expect what is here. So I had an example of this. This was in my daily life. I was driving, and my mind was consumed with planning. It was this spinning, intense energy of planning. And I was driving, and I wanted to be present for driving, so I kept, you know, okay, you know, come back to the hands on the steering wheel, be present. And I was, like, skipping over the thought a little bit. You know, it would be like I was trying to... to, I wasn't exactly pushing the thought away, but I was also not engaging with it. So you stop, and I'm going to pay attention to driving. And it just kept coming. It just was so strong. It kept coming, it kept coming. And finally... I, I just kind of, with my hands on the steering wheel, I said, Well, what else is happening here? Just that simple question, you know, what else is going on right now with this planning? I mean, it was not pleasant, it was intense. Gotta do this, gotta figure out this, I gotta make sure this person knows this thing and that person knows this thing. When I stopped and just, okay, what else is happening here? I was really happy. I had no idea I was happy. (laughs) And as soon as the mind actually opened to that, all of that planning thought went away. And in retrospect, what I saw was happening was the mind was trying to figure out how to hold on to this happiness. You know, how can I make sure that everybody knows everything they need to know so that I can feel this happiness when I wasn't even feeling it? So opening to that curiosity, you know, what what is here? It can be so surprising. In the middle of being curious about depression and depressed thoughts, I noticed metta. That was, what? And that was, again, it was just an opening to, what else is here? Oh, there's meta here. Not at all what I expected. There can, of course, be, um, you know, in the middle of an arguing, in a, uh, a frustration, thoughts, be anger and um, hatred and all of those things. So, but I just want to point out that not to look for anything in particular. Just to be curious about what shows up and then to work with it, as we've talked about working with emotions, in the body, being with it in the body. Often when we connect with the emotion that's underlying thoughts, the thoughts will dissipate because as I said, it's like the, the, the thoughts are often in this kind of energetic experience. Thoughts are often the emotions way of trying to get our attention. So, when we finally connect, oh, this is what's happening, the thoughts may dissipate. And trying to be aware, mindful of extremely strong thoughts these energetic kind of things with a lot of emotional charge to them. It's helpful to really uh, have the wisdom to understand whether or not the mindfulness can really meet the experience. Sometimes the energy of a reaction, a thought, and the emotion that's with it can be have more momentum, let's say, have more momentum than our mindfulness has momentum. And it feels like our little stream or trickle of mindfulness is swamped by a tsunami. If it feels like the, that trying to be mindful of a pattern like that just, you just get pulled right back into it. It's just swamped by the energy of the emotion. Then that's not the tr- time to try to be mindful of that, of that pattern. There's a number of things that we can explore in that moment. It's 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 not what we would call pure mindfulness, but it's skillful means to support us to stay present rather than getting lost. So an important part of this is we'll. we'll You know, we're we're letting go or redirecting the attention to something else. But it's important to do that in a way that's not a repression of that strong energy, the strong thought, the strong emotions with it, to not be repressing that. But to more, like I would at times, anger was my big thing, you know, it was, I would get lost in worlds of anger. And as I began to practice with it, and notice how strong it was, and that I couldn't quite be mindful of it in that moment. It would be like I would, I would bow to it. I'd say, I see you. I see you're really asking for attention, but mindfulness isn't quite strong enough at this point, so I'm going to turn my attention to something else. So it, it was I, I, like that whole, that whole um, conversation I said to myself a few times, and then it just translated into, not now with a very gentle tone, so that it had no aversion in it. Just not now. And then turned my attention to something else. So there's a different ways to turn our attention. So there can be a kind of, depending on how strong the energy is, it might be um, that, that you can just let that energy still be there. but. Expand and let yourself know there's lots of other things happening in the present moment. Just remind yourself, there's thousands of things happening in the present moment other than this thing. You know, sometimes it can feel like we're pulled like by a magnet to pay attention to something that's very painful, very difficult. And just a reminder, yeah, that's happening. And seeing is happening. Hearing is happening. Well, there's that thing again, and seeing is happening, and hearing is happening, and there's sensations on my feet. Okay, and oh, there it is again. Oh, and seeing is happening. So I would rotate through my senses and just broaden to expand uh, the field of attention rather than being collapsed in on this one thing. It just got broader. You can also just redirect the attention, turn to something else. That can be a little harder if it's got that really strong magnetic pull to it. But if, if, it, um, if you can, and I did that with the, with the anger. Um, you know, I said, not now. I invited, I often was walking when this happened. For some reason, anger would take over when I was walking. And so I would acknowledge the anger and, and I would say, well, you can take a walk with me, but I'm going to pay attention to my feet. And so that was a way to kind of just redirect. I wasn't attending to it at all, but I also didn't tell it it had to go away. So this is, these are gentle ways to kind of hold these challenging emotions and turn the attention elsewhere. Now, if these emotions are really strong, often they're felt in this area, in the torso, throat, chest, stomach, uh, you know, powerful... Emotions often have sensations in this area. And so for myself, I found coming back to the breath was not always useful in this kind of a place, you know, in terms of redirecting the attention. Because of all of that tension associated with those emotions in the body, as soon as I tried to be with the breath, it'd be like... All of it, clenching, and it, it just reminded me of it, and I was right back in it. So that may or may not be the case for you, but you know, just just give yourself permission to not necessarily come back to your breath if it's your anchor, and let yourself broaden with with some challenging emotional states, broader awareness, or turn to hearing. Hearing can be great there because it's. You know, it's, it's uh, not in this area of the body, that experience of hearing. So I have lots more I could tell you about working with difficult thoughts, but I want to get to drifting thoughts. So I'll shift in that direction. So these kinds of thoughts... Um, are much less energetic. And often, actually, some of these thoughts come when the energy is a little low or when the, the mindfulness is a little weak or a little low. These kinds of daydreams, um, random thoughts that seem, you know, you're, you find yourself seeing images or thinking about people you don't know. They're talking about things you're not interested in. And it just seems random. And there's not a lot of emotional connection either. It's just like, you know, why am I hearing people talk about that, you know? Something in your mind is making connections and you know, and you're aware of it. And often I, I f- have found for myself that when the, that kind of thinking is happening, and it feels like a drifting or a, a daydreamy quality, or maybe you're even seeing images like images. those are also thoughts. What I, I like to suggest for you can use the noting if you like. You can you can explore, okay, daydreaming is happening, drifting is happening. But what I find most useful for myself in that space is to connect with and become aware of the quality of the mind that is drifting. It's often, quite relaxed, quite spacious, and quite non-reactive. It's just not quite mindful. And so we're bringing essentially, you know, that state is, can be, if just a little bit of mindfulness brought in there can open us to a relaxed, open, non-judgmental, aware space. So with that drifting thought, that's, that's often one of the first things I encourage people to check. Can you know the quality of the mind that is drifting or daydreaming? Touch into that. See, And, and then potentially use the noting for that, like spacious, calm, peaceful, relaxed touch into the quality of the mind there rather than the kind of the fact of the thinking because the thinking there's not so interesting you know it's it's just you know the mind is relaxed and it does its kind of random brain firing things it's not something that's very you know often terribly relevant for us but the quality of that mind is really useful and we can connect to it and then find I have found at times when I connected to that it's like it's like feeling the mind dropping into a completely new um, terrain of awareness, broad, spacious, relaxed, and receptive. We can also, in this Time or place where there's not so much um, charge to thinking, be curious about and recognize um, how the thinking is happening in our minds. Tara mentioned this also this morning, you know, that we we essentially can think in any of our sense modalities. So seeing, hearing, our two of the biggest ones I think you know, that we often will see images hear our thoughts as if somebody's talking to us um, hear it like it's a radio so there's we're talking to ourselves so there's you know comes in kind of through the, uh, the, the, the it's, it's an imagined hearing is happening and an imagined seeing that's happening as our thoughts but we can also think in, other, in, in all of our sense modalities. We ha- I have at times experienced um, you know, having scents or smells come in. Very rarely tastes, but there. I've had that occasionally. And then um, more often for me, I was a dancer. And so um, the, a memory of movement you know, the, the, it, it, just the feeling. We, we can have kinesthetic thoughts. To give you a flavor of that right now, just being with yourself right now, um, imagine that you're going to stand up. Is there any sense, some of you may have felt this, when I do this, sometimes I have a sense of that feeling of the movement Almost. If you just imagine, I'm going to stand up. It can just almost feel like the standing has happened and you haven't stood. That may give you a clue of what a kinesthetic thought would be like. So we can think in all these different modalities. And sometimes it's useful to acknowledge, as a thought, part of recognizing the process of thinking, because this is how the mind is doing the work. It's not the content we're interested in here so much as how the mind is, is thinking. It's thinking by creating images. It's thinking by creating sounds. And I would sometimes use the note for the sense modality to notice the thought. Rather than noticing drifting or thinking, I would notice seeing. This is a seeing thought. I knew I wasn't really seeing. It, it was, it, but it was acknowledging that the thinking was happening through that sense modality. This was really helpful at one point when what I was seeing. I mean, I, like at well, one point in one of my three-month courses, I think I watched, you know, every movie I've ever seen, <laughs> including seeing the titles, you know, in the font that they were in in the movie, and just. And and so as soon as I saw an image arise from those those movies, I would note seeing, and then it would vanish. And then I might see another. I would watch... The, this, this got to be pretty fun, actually, because I, I could watch a movie in about seven seconds. <laughs> it would produce the image, and I'd note seeing, and that one would vanish. And then the next, you know, another frame would appear. You know, half an hour later in the movie, and that one would I would oh, seeing, and I, that one would vanish. And so I would just watch these thoughts arise and vanish. Again, just watching them, noticing them, not having a conflicted relationship with them. In talking about the um, noticing, for instance, with the drifting thought, the quality of the mind. What's the quality of the mind that's thinking? Um, That's kind of noticing, in a way, how the thinking is affecting experience. In this case, it's, it's almost more that the thinking is a byproduct of something else that's happening. The mind has relaxed. It's become spacious and calm. And there's not enough mindfulness. So random thoughts appear. So we're kind of noticing what's going on with the thoughts. So thoughts are happening. And what else is happening with the thoughts? That's a a good general tool. What is? What else is going on while this thought is happening? How does thinking affect experience? Thinking is a powerful conditioning, powerful conditioning force in our minds. When thoughts arise, and we often think of emotions as coming up first, and then thoughts arise. But thoughts can arise. We can be in one of those random, drifty spaces. And because of association, stumble into some thought somewhere that reminds us of somebody we had a conversation with and then that we're back in that argument with them. So it was kind of like we drifted out of mindfulness. It wasn't like there was a lot of emotion, but the thought arose and then we started having that argument and that thinking generated emotion. So there's there's a, a cycle between thought and emotion and thought and emotion. And so generally being curious about what else is happening with the thinking begins to kind of unpack or, or unweave some of what has been conditioned by thoughts and some of what the thoughts might be conditioning. So sometimes I, I call this um, noticing, like when you wake up into thinking, I talked about, at the very beginning, I I said, when you notice that thinking is happening, take the opportunity to recognize, oh, I'm aware of thinking, here it is. You know, as opposed to immediately, oh, thinking, let me come back to the breath. It's like there's, there's, there's something that's happened there. While you've been wandering, something has been shaped. Thinking has shaped your experience in some fashion. And so see if you can take that in sometimes call this noticing the landscape that you're waking up into. Or notice the planet that you're waking up on. It may be that the thought that you're waking up into has shaped an emotion of anger, fear, confusion also may be that that thought has shaped some wholesome qualities. This was another really big aha moment for me around working with thoughts when just being curious about, okay, what else is here with this thought? Like that happiness, you know? Like a wholesome quality of happiness. I was having a lot of thinking about some friends. I was sitting right about there, a the three month course, and thinking about friends from the Peace Corps. Just they were coming up repeatedly in my mind. And you know, yep, thinking, come back to the breath. Doing that, shooting the thoughts that Saito Tejani was talking about. Thinking, come back to the breath. It's like, that, they're not here. <laughs> Go away. Breath. <laughs> And at some it was so potent though. It was so such a strong pull. They kept coming back. And finally, it's kind of like, okay. You know, you know what happens when you surrender? It just is so much easier. It's like, okay, this is what's happening. What what else is here? It was metta. And and I was like, oh, wow, you know, just like this expansive quality of feeling like, I love you. The thoughts stopped, and the metta remained. So what planet is actually there with the thoughts? I often find that we, we, we think we can like set it aside and come back, but it's more like an Aikido move, open to what's here and connect with it and see what happens next. There's a couple of other kinds of thoughts that I'll mention kind of briefly, just to touch on them. And if these are happening for you, you can check in with your, the teacher you're meeting with. This morning somebody mentioned narration uh, as a kind of a thinking and in addition to um, how Tara ta- talked about it, um, I find sometimes the narration happens, it's just a really neutral thing, you know, it's just like I'm walking down the, the hallway and I go into the bathroom and turn on the light and the mind is saying, she's walking down the hall. <laughs> she went into the bathroom, she, li- she, she flipped the light switch. She thought about telling Joseph about this experience. <laughs> just a continual like narration of what was happening. It drove me nuts for a while. And it I think really it's just it's it's a, it's a, it's an experience that we seem to do. We tell ourselves the story of me constantly all day long. And at certain points in the meditation it becomes obvious that that is happening a way to work with that, at least for me, is to really acknowledge the not-self nature of it. I couldn't stop it. That's a useful exploration around not-self. You know, It's like, can I make this not happen? Can I turn this off? No, okay, it's not-self. It's a process that's unfolding, and what I can do is to be aware of it. So that narration can be worked with in that way. Another kind of thought that's almost not a thought, not a thought in the way we normally think of thoughts, at least, that's popping up into our minds, but there are um, deeper um, perspectives that we carry, views, beliefs. These are a kind of a thought, in a way. Beliefs are a kind of a thought they 're not often consciously recognized because they are a perspective that we 're looking through we 're not really knowing that we believe something it 's just true so one way to begin to explore this area is when there is a um, some kind of struggle where it feels like you 're caught. You know, and you're aware of it, you know you're caught, but it's just like you just keep staying caught. You can just keep working with it in that way, but sometimes it can be useful because when we're caught like that, there is some kind of belief that's happening. And a, a little bit of a kind of a curiosity what's being believed right now can sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Like, allow that belief to kind of bubble into consciousness so that we can become aware of it. So what is being believed right now? And then with beliefs, there are... Beliefs aren't exactly on or off. We have ranges of beliefs. Sometimes when a belief is exposed like that, when it comes up, it's like, wow, I don't even believe that. And, you know, it's not like we're trying to stop believing or to to stop the beliefs, but just to see them. Sometimes when those beliefs come up and they're not believed, they can just kind of, you know, it's like that's an old belief. I don't believe that anymore. Those old beliefs can operate below the surface because of their habitual conditioned nature. But when they're exposed, they can sometimes just release. And then there are those beliefs that we're really on board with. You know, we, we are, yes, you know, that one comes up. It's like, I'm to blame. Yep, I'm on board with that. So just notice if you, if you see a belief, you know, you can kind of be curious about how strong the belief is. You don't have to stop believing it, those strong beliefs will not. Go quietly. But they may be willing to be seen. And there can be a kind of a release or a relief that we're seeing something. Like that whole pattern of struggle and confusion and you know, to see, oh, I think I'm to blame here. Yeah, actually, I think I'm to blame here. The, the mind can kind of relax a little bit when it sees what's actually going on. And so even if there's still a sense of Yeah, that's happening and that's being believed. When it's exposed to mindfulness, there can be a little bit of that sense of at least it's being seen. And maybe there can be an okayness about knowing that. Like Bruni mentioned the other night, I don't like this. Yep, that's what's happening. I don't like this. And the the, the heart can go, yeah, oh, you know, it actually feels good to be acknowledged. I don't like this. Yes. So beliefs can be really helpful, especially when we're caught in something. It won't always show up, but just, you know, you could just give yourself that opportunity. What's being believed here? So that was a lot. Just, you know, sometimes my teacher, Sayadaw Utejaniya, would say, you know, just let the talk, you don't have to try to remember it. Let the talk just be like Dharma rain. It's just raining into your system. The rain falls and kind of goes into nooks and crannies and just filters in through the soil And at some point, some piece of that rain may nourish the understanding of something. And you don't have to go looking for it. So you don't have to remember anything I said. But at some point when you're working with something, it might arise. Oh, beliefs. So just trust that process. Let's just sit for a moment. Trusting the process. Opening to just how it is. appreciate yourself for what you're doing and if it feels hard to do that borrow my appreciation it's an amazing thing that you're doing thank you for your practice thank you for listening